Hello everyone, and this is episode 9 of season 2 of Going Beyond Salvation. Uh, And this is your host, Jess Robinson. And right now I just want to share with you um, our daily reading. And we're almost finishing up Leviticus, and then we go into Numbers. And... So it's been interesting. And so chapter, you know, we kind of went over 24 yesterday and for the last podcast. But in this podcast today, we're going to kind of jump just into chapter 25 and going and talk about 25. And then we'll talk about 26 on the next podcast. And chapter 25, it starts off about the Sabbath year and that even the land was to have a Sabbath year because, and we're going to see that he refers to, in, in chapter 25, verse 23, he talks about the land, that that the Israelites were not the real owners of the land, for it belonged to them. They were simply just the stewards of the land. And he gave them an order that as they were to have a Sabbath day of rest, and as you know, the Sabbath day is holy. Every seventh year, the land was to have time to rest. And actually, you know, being raised on a farm, I grew up on a farm. We raised alfalfa. And I've talked about that, that we always gave one of the fields. We always rotated in at least one, one or two fields, depending what was going on would actually have one year to rest. You didn't plant, till it, you didn't plow it. Uh, you just kept the weeds down like we would keep the weeds down and spray because we had other fields that had alfalfa and you couldn't get certified to be weed-free if you didn't go and spray the weeds. But we would spray the weeds. We'd still water it so that, you know, it still got water, but it had a year for... And we mainly did alfalfa, which is used for hay for horses and livestock. And we would grow alfalfa, and so it would grow on its own. And it would, you know, produce on its own. And, you know, you could use that alfalfa, you know, and as they were talking about in in this chapter 25, that the people would just eat off of it. They couldn't like harvest it, but they could use it for food and their livestock and the animals and even the alien and the poor could actually use the, the fruit then. And it was just allows the land to, to rest. It allows the soil nutrients to go back into the soil and allow that ground to be fertile. And so, because you can actually exhaust a field to the point there's no soil, nutrients, nothing. And, you know, and and it won't grow anymore. It's just, it's nothing. So you have to continue to let it have a year of rest. And so growing up on a farm, you know, you saw it. And, you know, the fields that didn't, you know, wasn't being worked on that year, you know, you'd see the deer were going in there. There would be pheasants. It was kind of like a haven for them because we weren't cutting it. It was just growing it on its own. And then we would put horses or or let cows be put on them so that on that 
field so that they could graze off of it and eat off of it. And so it was a year of rest. And then the next year it would be plowed back up and it would actually, the harvest the first year after a Sabbath year was always better. So when you're thinking about that, I just wanted to share that, that it actually is done in agriculture today. And I've heard many farmers doing it in the area where they let, they, they grow for six years and then they let one of the fields, you know, they rotate out. So that's just kind of interesting to know. And then we talk about the year of Jubilee and it was a period, you know, it was a year that came every 50 years. And what it was, there was three things that characterized the year of Jubilee. It was, it meant that all Israelite slaves had to be freed. They couldn't stay a slave anymore. They all ancestral property that had been sold had to be returned to the original family. And it was also, that was another year that the land was to be left untilled. And it, his purpose, you know, God's purpose in, in instituting this special year, one, it was to guarantee justice and it was to keep the rich from accumulating wealth and land at the expense of the disadvantaged. He was taking care of his people because if you get rich and you have all this land, you're not stewarding it the way the Lord would want you to steward it. Now, am I saying that I have a thing against rich people? No, I believe that there, you know, there are people here that have, you know, invested their money, worked hard for it, invested it in it and and, you know, the Lord has used people that have been blessed financially because they, you know, generally are the ones that are givers. They're the ones that are tithers. They're the ones that do, you know, a lot for ministry, you know, however they, they want to do, you know, however the Lord leads them. So I'm not saying anything bad about like President Trump or uh, here in in Wyoming, we have Foster Freeze. If a lot of people have a problem with him, I don't, you know. However they came about in their money, if they did it the right way and not illegal, then that's fine. So, otherwise, but continuing on, you know, he wanted, he was a God of justice. And he wanted to make sure his people were taken care of. And he talks about, we talked about, you know, that the Israelites were just stewards. And when you think about it uh, in, in today's concepts as, as a brand, you know, a brand new believer, and even as a believer, as you continue on, our material possessions are not ours. They belong to the Lord. It's just like your paycheck as well. That is the Lord's, you know, but he only asks for a tenth of that that paycheck and the rest of it you can use to buy groceries to pay bills pay your rent pay your utilities pay the car payment you know that's what it is and you know it's not ours it it belongs to the lord and we have been appointed as stewards 
that must manage all of our possessions justly for God, for others, and even for ourselves. We can't allow our material possessions to take control of ourselves. So we have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And, you know, that's something that me and my husband really strive for is that whatever the Lord gives us, we try to be good stewards. Like even when we're renting, we know that this is not our home. It's not our property, but we still take care of it. We clean the house. We, we continue to, you know, take care of the yard, you know, and I even grew a garden and, and it's like, you know, why should I grow a garden in something that I don't own? It's like, I'm going to be a steward of it and continue to take care of the garden. It hadn't been taken care of for the last few years, really. And I was able to harvest quite a bit few things other than my zucchinis. My zucchinis got ravaged with slugs. So, and I didn't think Wyoming would have slugs. I grew up in Wyoming and I never thought we would have slugs. Yes, we do. So it was a learning process that I had to share my garden with the slugs. Not really, but I wasn't really nice about it. So anyway, you know, so we're, we're to be good stewards, you know, of what the Lord gives us and where he places us in our jobs, in, in our families, you know, wherever he places us, like even in the, the, the homes that we're in, the neighborhood we're in, we're, we're to be good stewards. You know, we're supposed to let the light of Christ shine through us. And, um, Another thing is he talks about in chapter 25 is to not take interest. And it's been discussed before in in Exodus chapter 22. I just want to reemphasize why we could, they couldn't take interest. He didn't want you know Israelites taking advantage of other Israelites and now, he didn't say anything about interest for those who are not Israelite, who was not an Israelite for commercial use. They could do that, but he didn't want them taking advantage of, of, the, of each other, you know. So that's how, that's why he was saying not to take interest. And then we go back into this whole thing about slaves, and I think, I believe I've talked about it a little bit in past podcasts, but there's this whole thing about slaves and it's like, well, why would God want slaves? He just redeemed these people from slavery. The thing about it is slavery was a fact of life in biblical days. And you're going to, we're going to see that addressed in the new Testament as well, because people were wondering, it was a question. What was it? you know, about slavery in, in New Testament times, because while Jesus came and freed us from our sins, you know, should we free our slaves? And so in that time, it was, it was a fact of life in biblical days. Now today we, you know, when you think about it, you know, we don't want slavery. That's what we don't want. 
is slavery still happening? Well, there's human trafficking. And yes, so there's still slavery happening. And, but, you know, we're doing what we can because we don't want slavery. You know, we, you know, in America, we had a civil war in regards to slavery, you know, and, and God doesn't want slavery. You know, he wants his people free. It was just in that time they had to address what was going on in the world. And there was slavery going on in the world and in the biblical days. You know, other countries had slaves. God did allow Israel to buy slaves from pagan nations. He didn't want them enslaving their own Israelite, but it, it could happen. He allowed them to buy slaves from pagan nations. And, but he said they were to be treated with more dignity. They weren't to be mistreated as they were mistreated in Egypt. They were treated with more dignity. And so really the, the, those who were slaves from these pagan nations that were bought by Israelites, they were actually blessed. And I think it was in a way for them to want to follow the Lord because they weren't being mistreated. And it's going to be addressed in the New Testament with slaves that, you know, those who have slaves, they're to be Christ-like towards them. And even those who are slaves and are saved by Jesus, they're to be Christ-like towards their own master. It's, it's just how it was addressed back then. You know, and today it's like, you know, when you think about it, it's like, yes, human trafficking is bad and it needs to be stopped. I think, you know, when you think about it in, in these terms these days is that, yes, we deal with people that are harsh, like harsh leaders, harsh bosses and stuff. We're still to be Christ-like before them. And then when we are put in positions of leadership as well, that we're not to take advantage of, of those below, you know, well, I'm not trying to say people are below me, but those who, you know, you stir it over is the best way to say it. So when you think about that, so that is in essence, you know, chapter 25 and uh, it does, you know, we, we did read to verse 2 of cha chapter 26, but I'm going to hold off on talking about chapter 26 until, uh, at a, until the next podcast. So we're going to take a, a, a little break. And we're back and we're talking about Psalm 32 today. Uh, Psalm 32 is from David and it, it's, it's this skill. And this Hebrew word may derive from sakal, which is a Hebrew word meaning to be wise or skillful. And since it's occurring in the Psalms title, it may in indicate that this is a teaching Psalm and we see what it's teaching about is sin, you know, sin, you know, and, and forgiveness and, 
you know, he's talking about, you know, blessed, which, you know, blessed means happy. You know, the only true happy people are those who have received forgiveness for their sins. You know, they have Jesus in their lives. When you see people who are walking with the Lord, they have Jesus in their lives. You know, they're, they've been repentant and they, they're walking with the Lord. You notice that there's this true joy, like it just glows off of them. And, you know, the guilt of sin no longer weighs on, on their minds and conscious consciences, you know, and it's, it's open to all believers who come to the Lord. It's there. The enemy just likes to, in essence, he likes to leave us wallowing in the grave in our grave clothes, thinking that we are still condemned but we're not we're we're not condemned anymore when we've accepted the lord those sins are gone and we have to live the new life that jesus has given us and and allow his peace to take over you know if you're saying you know there's no you know you're still living with this idea that that you're condemned you know in essence you're doubting the cross and what, what Jesus did. And we don't want to do that, you know. We don't need to doubt. Because the cross, it, it was finished. It is done. And so we don't have to live in that past life. And and the enemy really is going to try to to throw that back at us. And it's, you know, you just have, it's, it's learning to battle in the word and in the scripture. And it's like, you know, no, I'm a, this was what I once was. Jesus came into my life and I'm a new creation. That sin is dead. I'm alive in Christ and I'm a new creation. And that's just something we have to learn to do. And going back to the Psalm, you know, it's talking about sin and, and David says, you know, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So when you think about it, when you're living in sin and you haven't been repentant, when you're, you know, that's in essence being silent, you know, it's, this is describing, you know, the bones wasting away, what is happening. It's, it's describing the agony and penalty that, you know, concealed sin brings, you know, when we sin and do not acknowledge it to God, we lost what is worthwhile in life. We lose our health. We lose our peace of mind, our happiness and favor with God. You know, you know, we feel, we experience guilt and inner torment as, as God's punishment when we're continuing to walk in, in concealed sin or even open sin as well, because, if you're not turning and you're feeling that conviction to turn away from, from that sin, you know, we have, you know, it's going to just keep nagging on you. But then we see this in verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, he, he's like, I'm going to confess. And 
you know, we see this confession and instantly, you know, we see it's instant. God forgave the guilt of his sin. And so, and that's how it is. When we confess to the Lord our sin and ask for forgiveness, it's done. It's forgiven. It's instant. It's not, you know, well, I'll think about it. You know, and, and, you know, how we are, you know, even as people, you see it like husbands and wives, you see it where a husband's asking for forgiveness of his wife and the wife just sitting there going, well, I have to think about it, you know, and, and makes them like feel really bad for the next few days. That's not the way with the Lord. He's instant to forgive. And when you think about it as believers, we should be instant in forgiving as well. And it's hard because, yes, there are things that it does hurt. You know, when when you've been hurt by somebody else and they ask for your forgiveness because they feel bad. It's just like you want to make them feel bad about it. But and it's hard sometimes, but we need to be like the Lord and instant to forgive, quick to forgive. And just kind of jumping on it, you know, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. This is a promise from the Lord that he instructs and guides a forgiven believer, especially when we have a teachable spirit, you know, when we treasure God's presence and his counsel. When we trust in him, when we rejoice in him and continue in our upright living, and you know, it's, he's going to instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. You know, how do we know if we, you know, how to live, you know, if we're not instructed and teach, you know, taught. And so he's constantly, and when we're getting into the word, he's instructing us. He's teaching us in the way we should go. He's counseling us. Even when we don't understand, he is teaching us. And that's the great thing about this psalm that I just love. And I just love Psalm 30, 32 here because it's just talking about what sin does when we don't confess. And, and I've actually, you know, and it doesn't, You know, I've, I've actually heard some people say, you know, when they were sick and I'm not saying, you know, if you're sin, you know, sinning that, you know, or if you're sick, it's because you have sin. No, I, I don't say, you know, believe every sickness is because of sin, but I know that there have been people that were sick, especially like with cancer or something. And they took that time and they really thought about their life and really took into account, you know, and, and really got right with the Lord and with people and learned to forgive, you know, it's, it's a time of evaluating, but I, you know, I've heard too of people who are sinning and they actually say it feels like their bones are wasting away and it's taking away their health. So it's just such a great psalm and it's just so true in our lives that we can't live with sin in our lives because it just it strips away every everything every joy of the Lord out of us when we're living in sin 
and allowing sin in our hearts, you know, it just strips it away, strips our health. It just, it, it just drags us down. And, you know, just this Psalm teaches us that, you know, we have this loving God who's there to forgive us. And he, and he's so quick to forgive, you know, he's so merciful. He's not, you know, we imagine him with the ruler waiting to, to bane us, you know, you know, whack us. So we're going to take a short break and then talk about Mark just a little bit. We are back and we are talking about a little bit more into Mark chapter 6. So in Mark chapter 6, we're not really going to go over everything because we talked about a lot of this in, in when we were going over the gospel of Matthew. So in gospel of Mark, we start off in verse 7 and he sends out the 12 and something that I wanted to point out, he sends out the 12 two by two and he gives them authority over evil spirits. And we talked about that in in essence with um, Matthew. But the thing that I wanted to point out, it says they, in verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And that really stood out to me. And I don't know if I, if that was in Matthew or not, but they, it says they anoint sick people with oil. And this is like mentioned only here. And also in James, the book of James chapter five, verse 14. And that is where it's talking about if there's any sick among you, let the elders anoint the sick person with oil and pray the prayer of faith over them. And so this is being seen and, and you will see that in churches today, uh, many Pentecostal churches mainly, or like assembly is a God, we anoint with oil and there's nothing like significant about the oil. You know, like generally it's like really nice that we just buy the nice smelling oil that's got like essential oil in it, (laughs) you know, that had, you know, it's in a carrier oil. Generally, if I'm anointing a house, you can generally anoint a house with olive oil. It's nothing like significant, but it represents the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and a point of contact to encourage faith. So I wanted to point that out, that it was in here that they anointed sick people with oil. And we see that. And so I just wanted to explain that, especially if there's a brand new believer listening to this podcast and you're wondering about this whole, why do they anoint people with oil on Sundays? It's just because this was in the scriptures and it and is, you know, James writes about it, about the elders anointing a sick person with oil. And it's just that the oil doesn't do anything. It just has a representation. And 
you know, it's, it's all our faith in God and, and, and the prayer. So that's what that is. Then we talk about John the Baptist being beheaded and, you know, we talked about in the book of Matthew that this was a pinnacle when, when John the Baptist is beheaded, it's because at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, uh, you know, people are amazed and they're, they're, you know, bewildered with these miracles that are happening in these teachings. And so they're a little bit more open, but you see as he starts and we don't really see it here in Mark because Mark is more about more action about what Jesus did than what he taught. You see it in Matthew, the transition that, you know, as Jesus taught more about the kingdom of heaven and, and what it means to follow him. And we'll see it with John. Uh, we'll see it with Luke that, what it meant, you start seeing these people that you start seeing people taking offense, you start seeing rejection. And when John the Baptist is beheaded, it's a clear sign of the rejection of, of, you know, of God's move in this situation. It's the a rejection from the Israelites. And so we're going to see a change in attitude from here on out. So that's what I wanted to re-emphasize again. And so we're not really going to just keep going, but, you know, and I'm going to actually stop with John the Baptist being beheaded because it only goes to, we only read to 34 and that's Jesus feeding the 5,000. And actually if Jesus feeding the 5,000 is in all four gospels. And so, which speaks a lot for that miracle to be in there in all four Gospels. So we'll talk about the feeding of the 5,000 a little bit. We talked about it quite a bit in, the, in, in Matthew, but I'm going to kind of look around and see if there's something that I missed. I always kind of do that with these. So that is in essence what... Um, what Mark is today, um, for, for our podcast. And so for the next episode, we're going to read Leviticus chapter 26, verse three through chapter seven, verse 21. And then we're going to read Psalm 33 verses six through 12 Proverbs five, 18 through 20. And then Mark chapter six, 30 verse 35 through chapter seven, uh, verse four. And so I'm going to end in a prayer and I just want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love, Lord. I thank you, God, for that you are quick to forgive, that you are filled with grace and Lord, slow to anger and quick to love. Lord, we just give you the honor and the glory, Lord, because you are sovereign. You are in control, Lord. As, as I pray about this, Lord, there's just so much craziness going on out in the world with coronavirus, but you are in control. Lord, you are sovereign. This doesn't surprise you, Lord, but Lord, I just pray God today that your presence just 
be upon us, Lord. Lord, I just pray for every person that listens to this podcast that you would touch them, anoint them, put a hedge of protection around them, Lord, in this time that they would not, that no sickness would come upon them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint everyone with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and give us a boldness to to proclaim the good news in these times, Lord. And we just thank you for all that you're doing and you continue to do. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Mm-hmm.